Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Okay, I hope you guys are excited for the words. I'm really believing that the Lord's going to speak to you tonight. Amen. Okay, so today's message is called The Roller Coaster of Discipleship. The Roller Coaster of Discipleship. And there's three questions that I want you guys to know the answer to at the end of this message. Question one, how do you respond to God's mercy? Question two, how do you handle the sensation of disappointing God? And question three, what is God's perspective when you have done wrong? So as we unpack this, I want to go straight to 2 Peter 3. 18, and I'm going to read it in my, my favorite translation of the week, which is the Passion Translation. And it says, But continue to grow and increase in God's grace and intimacy with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May he receive all the glory both now and until the day eternally begins. Amen. The roller coaster of discipleship. You became born again, and maybe you thought it's going to be easy street. It's going to be easy. Everything's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. And you found out as it got worse. Why do attacks seem a bit more obvious? Why are challenges? Why do challenges seem a bit more challenging? It's not easy in our own strength to walk with God. In fact, it's impossible. You can't do it. And the interesting thing about a roller coaster is that there's ups and downs. But the most powerful thing about a roller coaster that works is that the tram remains always connected to the rails. So that's the conclusion that I really want you guys to know, which we're going to find out how we got there. What is the significance of remaining connected throughout the ups and downs of your walk with Jesus Christ? I'm going to use Peter as my example today. Now, I'm not sure if you know this, but I'm going to give you some information. The Mishnah is the educational process for a young Jewish boy. It starts at around five years old. Um, and Beth, Beth Midrash is essentially secondary school. Now, secondary school is for the best students. It starts around 12 years old. So guaranteed educa education um, back in those days for a Jewish boy was from the ages of five to about 12 years old. Guaranteed you'd have that. The best would go to Beth Midrash, which is secondary school, from 12 and upwards to about 20, 1820. At around 1820, again, the best of the best would seek a famous rabbi. And they would seek a famous rabbi because they wanted to learn from the rabbi. But in fact, it goes beyond learning from a rabbi. They wanted to become like the rabbi that they were pursuing. Yeah. When they were in this position with a famous rabbi, they were called Taladims. What's Taladim? Our English word is disciples. So they became disciples. 
Now, what's really interesting, you really couldn't have the authority to disciple anyone until the age of about 30 years old. So let's put this all together. At about 12 years old would be the end of most young Jewish people. You'd stop at 12, you'd, you'd learn a trade, and you'd keep going. So even if you went into Beth Midrash, you would still learn a trade. So some people were carpenters. Some people were fishermen. Now, as I started to understand this, I realized some of the disciples, their education stopped at around 12, 13. Imagine that. It stopped at around 12, 13. Based on the principle that they actually weren't intellectual enough to continue. So you can say Peter, for example, was already suffering rejection. He never went, he never got to the place where he could seek a rabbi and follow him. He became a fisherman with his brother. What's so interesting about this, if the verse that comes to mind is, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Even in Peter's educational rejection, as it were, he was still acceptable in God's eyes. So here's my first question to us all. Maybe what stops you from drawing close to God consistently is one of the following. I've done wrong. I I will be defined by what I have said and done. This is a difficult season for me. It's always a difficult season for me. I am naturally unlucky. My grandparents were witches. I've never had it good. People always had it better than me. Maybe it's where I live, which is the problem. Maybe it's the type of house I live in, which is the problem. Maybe it's the level of your beauty, which you think is the problem. Maybe it's the car you drive, the size of your family, or the size of your bank account. Maybe some of these issues are causing you problems. And the reality is, none of these problems mean as much as what God has done for us. So as I was thinking about a roller coaster and its rocky motion at times, the Holy Spirit brought me to a memory when I was was in the water one time. I'm Nigerian, we don't really swim. Anyway, so we were in the water one time, me and my family, and we were in a boat. We were rocking the boat. Oh my goodness. I was so scared because I thought to myself, if I fall in, there's a problem because my mom can't swim, my sister can't swim, no one can swim here. Why are we even on water? Anyway. And that rocking, rocking motion that I sensed in a roller coaster, I remember. I reminded myself of it when I was looking into this and looking at discipleship and it's up and down moments. And then the Lord said to me, there were three boats that I want you to talk about. The three boats were the three boats that Peter were in at different times. The first boat we're going to talk about is the first boat Jesus met him in. The second boat we're going to talk about is the boat he stepped out of and walked on water. And the third boat we're going to talk about 
is the boat after the resurrection and they were fishing. Luke 5, chapter, um, verse 1. Now, it occurred that while the people pressed upon Jesus to hear the message of God, he was standing by the lake, um, the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats drawn up by the lake. But the fishermen had gone down from them and were washing their nets. And getting onto one of the boats that belonged to Simon Peter, he requested him to draw away a little from the shore. Then he sat down and continued to teach, and the crowd of people from the boat were around him. Verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, Jesus said to Simon Peter, put one into the deep, put, onto, put out into the deep water, the lower your nets for a haul, and lower your nets for a haul. And Simon said, Master, we toiled all night, amplified exhaustingly and caught nothing in our nets. But on the ground of your word, I will lower the nets again. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. And as their nets were at the point of breaking, they signaled to their partners in other boats to come and take hold with them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was gripped with bewildering amazement, in brackets, allied to terror. And all who were with him at the hall of the fish, which they had made, verse 11, and after they had run their boats on shore, they left everything and joined him and his disciples and sided with his party and accompanied him. Question one. How do you respond to God's mercy? Answer, you accept it by faith and know it's come to you by grace. The mercy of God in your life has got nothing to do. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. In the face of all your inadequacies, Peter saw in that moment of time, wow, look at this. This is impossible. I've been fishing all night. In my own strength, I couldn't do it. But all of a sudden, the ability of God, the grace of God has come and now my nets are full. In that moment of seeing the, the glory of God, he realizes in that moment, I'm not good enough. You may be sitting here, you may be sitting online and be thinking you're not good enough. God's saying that you are good enough. The very fact that you're breathing is proof that you're good enough. Yeah. Amen? Thank you. Boat number two. This is found in Matthew 14, 22. I won't read all of it. I'll read some. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch between three and six o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And the disciples saw him walking on the sea. They were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they screamed out with fright. Pause. What's so amazing about this verse is that John 6, 19 says that Jesus was walking on water for three to four miles. Verse 27. But instantly he spoke to them saying, take courage, I am, I, I am, stop being afraid. 
And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. But when he perceived and felt the strong wind, he was frightened. And as he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. What's so fantastic about this is, you know what, Peter did walk on water for a bit. He had enough faith to hear the word of God and be moved by the word of God. And because he was moved by the word of God, he was able to do, because of that word of God, the impossible, which was walk on water. But guess what happened? He got into his feelings. The sensations started to affect his focus, his faith, his trust in what he had heard and the Jesus that was right in front of him. And as a result, he began to sink. Question. How do you handle the sensation of disappointing God and having condemnation? As Jesus brought his hand to Peter and brought him out, he actually says, ye of little faith. So at one moment, he had enough faith to hear and do, but because of the issues of life, the wind in this circumstance, what he heard was of no, of no effect at that moment and he began to sink. Jesus said to him, ye of little faith. What would you all do if Jesus said to you, ye of little faith? I'm not sure about you. I may have to wipe a tear. Say, ah, Jesus, why? The beautiful thing even though this happened, they both go into the boat. The story continues. So to the question, how do you handle the sensation of disappointing God? In brackets, faithlessness. The answer, you stay in contact with the word. You stay in contact with the word. Even though he got wet, he was about, he was sinking. He took hold of the word. And the word brought him back into that boat. They got to land and everything was well. Stay in contact with the word. Boat number three. Okay, before we go to boat number three, we have to, we have to backtrack here to understand the significance. Boat number three. By this time, Peter has done the whole bravado. I will never, ever deny you. Impossible, me? Ha, I walked on water for a little bit. Me? I said, oh, I said the thing that you told me, only the father told you. Flesh and blood didn't tell me. That was me. I've done all these things and I will never do that to you. That was Peter. Let's read what happened. As we know, he did. He denied Jesus three times. Jesus went to the cross. He raised from the dead. At this time of this third boat, 
Peter has seen Jesus twice before. And it reads, Later, Jesus appeared, appeared once again to a group of his disciples by Lake Galilee. It happened one day while Peter, Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, Jacob, John, and two other disciples were all together. Peter told them, I'm going fishing. And they all replied, we'll go with you. So they went out and fished through the night, but caught nothing. How interesting. This is what they were doing. Peter was doing the first time Jesus met him in the boat. We toiled all night. How interesting when Peter at this time, full of guilt, even, full of even more guilt knowing that Jesus is raised from the dead. Guess what he does? He goes back to his creature comfort. He goes back to what he knows he can do. He goes back to fishing. Let's pause for a second. In times of difficulty, what comforts do you go back to? When things are getting hard, when you feel disappointed, when you're full of regret, when you're full of, of condemnation, when, when all these things, these voices and feelings seem so strong, what comfort do you go back to? The Bible says that there is a comforter that you can go to. So the story continues. Jesus shouted to them, throw your net over the, over the starboard side and you'll catch some. And so they did, as he said, and they caught so many fish, again, they couldn't even pull in the net. Then the disciple who Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Peter heard him say that, he quickly wrapped his outer garment around him. And because he was athletic, this is TPT, sorry. He dove right into the lake to go to Jesus. The other disciples then brought the boat to shore, dragging their catch of fish. They weren't far from land, only about 100 meters. And when they got to shore, they noticed a charcoal fire with some roasted fish and bread. Then Jesus said, bring some of the fish you just caught. Jesus doesn't want anything from you. Everything that God has is for you. He doesn't need your fish. He has fish. He doesn't need anything that you think you could possibly give him. He has it already. His desire is for you to receive it. Yeah. Hmm. It continues, and this is a time when Jesus is saying to Peter, do you love me? And he asks him three times. Each time, Peter says, yes, I do. You know I love you. You know I love you. You know, you know I love you. And what's so interesting, I've pondered this verse for so long, and I'm sure there's other truths that could be taken and communicated, but this is what, I thought, you see, the Bible says that Peter was saddened when he asked the third time. And I've come to a point of revelation where Jesus was speaking to Peter. You see, Peter denied Jesus three times and Jesus asked him, do you love me three times? 
Why? Pete, Jesus didn't ask Pete, didn't say to Peter, oh, look, you, 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 look what you've done. We're not happy. I'm not happy with you. He didn't look at his wrongs. He was, look, he was trying to make Peter look at his future. He was trying to get Peter to look at his love for him. The Bible says that those who love me will keep my commandments. And his commandments are, when you're walking in the love of God, his commandments are without burden. So your ability to, walk, to, to live out the commandments is proof you've received the love of God. The Bible says, for it is he who gives you both the power and desire to do what he's called you to do. He's not asking you to do it in your own strength. The Bible then says you were created for good works. James says, faith without works is dead. So all of these good works that God has for you to do, you can only do them by faith. And if you can only do them by faith, what is necessary as a reality for you to do these works of faith is to know God's love for you. He loves you deeply, beyond your hurts, beyond the sins you've done and beyond the sins done against you. He's trying to convince Peter that there is work for him to do. And that work is him doing that work. Peter doing that work is proof. Love is available. Receive my love. Don't look back, but look forward. The final question I asked is, what is God's perspective about when you have done wrong? Answer. God always wants you to look forward and not back. Look to him and in him, the capacity, ability and works and call on your life is known to you and done by you. God never makes people look back. I'm looking at this story and I think to myself, wow, that's so true. You know, Peter's done all of this and he isn't even filled with the spirit yet. So I asked myself, the Bible calls us to do two things, to renew our minds and to be filled consistently. In the moments when we're not filled consistently, <laughs> that's when mind renewal can take place. But can your mind, are you going to place your mind in a place to be renewed? <sighs> if you're not looking to the Lord, in your days, if you're not accepting, you know, I've done wrong yesterday, but if you're not understanding or hearing what God is communicating, even in the moments that you've done wrong, you're going to believe a lie. You're going to believe that God doesn't love you. You're going to believe that his, your performance is what produces his love for you. It doesn't. But when you're convinced, fully persuaded for his love for you, then what you do, what you desire changes. So here's a tip. What can we do to be filled? And what can we do in order to constantly come back to God? You see, the Bible talks about David being a man after God's own heart. It wasn't because David was perfect. There is a list of sins and atrocities that David committed. But he was after God's own heart in the sense of David knew where home was. 
David knew no matter what I do, I can always go back to the Lord. I want everyone to know this. As the worship team comes out, I want everyone to know that no matter where you are right now, no matter what you've done, no matter what someone has done to you, no matter what they've said to you, no matter what happened to you before you knew Christ, no matter what you've done since you've known Christ, God is for you. God is for you. And you may think to yourself, I don't deserve it. Rejoice. You've identified what grace is. You're not supposed to deserve it. Why is this grace so important? Because this unconditional, unmerited favor and power for you is connected to God's agape, his selfless love towards you. Pastor Mark said earlier, it's all about knowing God's love. And the grace that we've been called to walk by is connected to God's love, his heart. God's saying to each and every one of us, in the roller coaster that we call discipleship, life, remain connected to him. Be empowered by him. And at the end of the ride, it comes to a pleasant um, stop. Your hair might be a bit messy. Your heart rate may have transformed. But spiritually, in that ending, you look a lot more like Christ. And that's God's purpose for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you all.